Airing from the No Sponsorship Studios, this is Buddy Walk with Jesus, where real life and the kingdom of God connect. Now, your hosts, Joe and Edgar. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here, Father. I thank you for today. I thank you for all the gifts you've given, Father, and even so many that were hidden unseen. Father, how you delight to give your children good gifts. Father, right now I pray for every listener that they would be able to see the good gifts that you have for them and that they would be able to enjoy the relationship of the gift giver. You are the one we look to. No matter what happens in life, you're the only sustaining rock. You're the giver of life and you're the giver of hope. And I thank you for all the wonderful things you do for us, even when we don't feel lovable or don't deserve it. Father, I thank you that your heart is ever towards us. You are faithful when we are unfaithful. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, what is up? Welcome back to Buddy Walk with Jesus, as always, as we get started. First and foremost, we want you guys to know two very important things that you are prayed for and that you are loved deeply. As always, if you guys are in need of prayer, do not hesitate to reach out. Prayer at BuddyWalkWithJesus.com for all the links, for all the things to join the Discord server, to be able to engage with the community, as well as ways to get all of the best Buddy Walk merchandise and support the ministry. Uh, check us out at BuddyWalkWithJesus.com. So this week, we're going to kick off a little bit of an experiment here. Uh, we want to bring it back to the conversational roots of the show and there's a lot of times within the show that we acknowledge that real life is real life and real life is messy and real life is full of questions and that things are complex and that it is okay with the right person in the right setting with wise counsel to be able to engage, to be able to ask questions, to be able to comb over God's word. And so we have this very unique paradigm here between Edgar and I. Um, I can count my salvation on a single hand. Edgar can count his in decades. And that provides very unique perspective. Many decades. <laughs> <laughs> It's part of the odd couple appeal that we bring to the show. And so what we want to do here is test out having some conversations about some of the very honest questions that arise in life that aren't pretty. Lord knows Edgar's been fielding these kinds of questions from me on and off for the better part of like 10 years now. So he's kind of used to this, these kinds of things coming out of my mouth by now. But jokes aside, for the most part, if I'm bringing up a question here, it's because I've asked the question. It's because these, these are, are real things that for a lot of people end up getting drummed up. 
And full transparency, guys, God gave me a skeptic's mind. It just is what it is. And it's actually one of the reasons why I believe in him, which is an entirely different conversation unto itself that we can have at some point. But it's okay that you have an analytical mind, that you have a skeptic's mind, because God made all of us entirely different and unique. There was one time I described myself as a believing cynic. Yeah. So I think it's a lot more common than we give people credit for. Right. And that's that's why I make it a point to bring it up. And that skeptic's mind for me is coupled with a long time of understanding how easy it is to play a character in the pew and a lot of years of hard living. The, um, the thing is people... There are people out there who says, well, you, you can't question God. You you got to have blind faith. Well, question God is can be a broad term. You know, God asking God questions is very important. God, how can this happen? And sometimes we ask questions that are uncomfortable to us to hear to God. God, why do you allow bad things to happen? Why didn't you save my um, so-and-so when I prayed for their healing or their salvation. These are tough questions, but God can answer them. Just questions are good right. because they, re the, I want to say they require answers. They require us searching for that answer. And without that authentic search for the answer, we don't sometimes find the answer. We settle into a bitter root, if you will. Sometimes faith is something that's hard to come by for some people. And the reality is the more you've seen the easier it can be to get lost in doubt in questions and just stop trying to pursue. So we're going to unpack some things and we want you guys to understand a few things before we get started. We both love God, but honest questions become stumbling blocks if we can't bring ourselves to address them. If you guys have questions, feel free to ask, reach out, Get in touch, buddywalkwithjesus.com, or you can find us on Facebook, shoot us a message, reach out. If this is something that you guys are finding beneficial um, and, you, and you have your own questions to be asked, do not hesitate to reach out. You can get in touch with us. Um, for the last couple of months, I've been joined up with a Christian panel show called Biblical Chili. The idea is that you get different perspectives and stuff under the same umbrella and discussing different topics, different things. And the further I've gone down this road, Edgar, of working with other Christians and talking with different people, the more I can see, not just in other people, but in myself as well, that life experiences have a way of shaping how you take in the Bible, how you process the Bible, and how we relate to God. Now, I realize at a base level that kind of seems commonsensical, but when you dig down into that line of thought, you can hit some pretty different perspectives, ranging from slight disagreements to some pretty radical stuff. Now, if this is all supposed to be coming from some kind of uniform truth, sometimes it feels like this is anything but for Christians. Take this last year alone, for instance with some of the absurdity and vitriol and hate that has been spewed from people thinking that they have the moral high ground. So 
on a real life level, let's talk about that. Let's talk about processing the that difference that is held between different Christians that I understand for some is celebrated, but I'm well aware that acknowledging the possibility for different processes can really become a weight around the skeptic's mind. I'm thinking to myself, have, have I encountered someone who was radically... Well, yeah, I guess I have, but it's kind of hard because if if these people I knew then know now, they might be considered consider themselves progressive Christians. So I don't know if I can put the same question to that. Um, when there are diverse opinions, there there are a couple things I'm reminded of, and recently I've been thinking about this. Um, let, let's say you have a popular group is the Baptists on one hand and the Pentecostals on the other, so the charisma, uh, Charismatics, excuse me. So a lot of times they don't see eye to eye. So we're reminded of scripture about can the hand to say to the foot, do I have need of you? What need do I have of you? Um, because they're not the same. They don't do the same function. They don't do the same purpose. Is that the same thing when we look at people who have different social views and different political views? You know, just aside from theological, we're complex by nature. And there's a saying I heard from a boss many years ago, and I'm talking about 21 years ago, where he said, if two people agree, one is unnecessary. So there is that difference that should be accepted, if not celebrated. Um, people are going to have unique perspectives. Now, I say that within reason, you know, I would never advocate for abortion. And I would have a hard time with someone with that stance as a Christian. Um, but I also know that God loves everyone. Um, the abortionist doctor, as well as the unborn baby, with equal weight. Um, and that's something that's hard to comprehend. This God of the universe. So how does he, he, he view us? You know, how does he view how we react to each other? I'm learning a lot about letting people be people um, and not changing them into what I think they should be. That's a struggle at times when there are things that really call you forward in a and a desire not to deal with the difference. Um, and, it, and it is very difficult because you realize you're challenged with, you know, do I really give this up to God or do I hold on to it? And I think Christ did a very good picture of this. He was able to say to the sinners and the people that he met around them, he was able to speak to them one-on-one. -on -one. The hardest group that he had were the religious community. Um, they weren't the only ones. There were some government leaders as well. But if he's our beginning example, what are we doing to match up to that? How are we deciding where um, 
the line is. I find that to be challenging now more than earlier on because I'm more aware of things within myself of where I start to get that resistance kind of thing to reaching out to somebody um, or letting a, a discussion go uh, forward. As a human being, we have a lot of components to us. And sometimes we can find that there's a lot more that's not under, I want to say under submission to God, but that's not the best phrasing. Under his light might be a better phrasing. That we've kept it in the dark or we reserved it as our mind understands it as. So you had said something that I want to key in on. And this kind of drives down to the heart of why this is so important to me. You said within reason. Who's to say that what's within reason? That's that's the thing. I, so a, for a lot of years, I've looked in your eyes and I've seen the full and complete confidence of a Christian in your eyes. For, and, and I mean that in a, in a complete and total compliment. I, I, I have seen in your eyes, you stand your ground come hell or high water, that, that you are resolute. I've also seen that with people that hold belief systems that claim to be inspired by Christianity, that same kind of resoluteness, not the same message, not saying the same thing, but that same kind of confidence, I, I've seen that out of other, out of other people. So where does that line where does that line come in, right? For other people that are looking in on Christians and like and saying things like, you know, if they can't get it straight themselves, if they can't get on the same page, then how could any of this be true? Well. That's a big question. And you know what I find interesting is that there's a verse that says many are called, but few are chosen. And what does that mean? A lot of times people would think they're definitely chosen because they've accepted the gospel. I'd have to go more into that verse off the, but what, what I'm targeting in or zeroing on is that we make this assumption that we are automatically the center of the verse that's being spoken in, in, in like this kind of a thing. But we may not be because we don't have the understanding the way God has. How many times have we been resolute? And, and by this, I mean, as part of my nature, how many does my nature, the evidence of the things I do, indicate that I'm drawing closer to God. There are people who would say they're very good Christians, but the body of evidence that they have, the byproduct of that relationship is non-existent. Um, and this doesn't have to be extreme. They don't have to be cursing. They don't have to be smoking weed. They don't have to be carousing. They could be a control freak. They could be somebody who covets things. You know, they spend their money on the latest gadgets and neglect their household that needs food or rent money. So when God says something like that in the Bible, it's, it interests me to say, okay, do I live up to this? 
even from my finite understanding, the way I understand this verse right now, do I live up to it? Does it call me to correction in a good way? Um, does it convict me? I think it's a better way to say it. Um, or does do I feel puffed up? Do I feel like, haha, yeah, I got this one nailed. Uh, thankfully, that's not a huge issue with me because sometimes it's like, I don't know how I can even live up to some of these things. God help me. I'm, I'm still too full of me and I'm already in my mid 50s. How am I ever going to arrive before my 80s? And there's I, the concept of arriving is really like a moving goalpost. The more you learn about the Lord, the more you learn about him and his goodness, the more you realize it is a distance thing. But he shrinks that gap for you and he brings you into union with him. We're indwelt for a reason. And those of us who decided to have this transformative life with the Lord dwelling us benefit from his presence and his constant calling. And there's humility that's in there. You can't be puffed with pride and say, you know, I'm doing this for God. You know, it's more like, thank you, Lord, that you allowed me to do this. Thank you, Lord, that you're teaching me to follow your ways. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me enough understanding to be able to comprehend what you're saying to me in your word. You know, developing that whole dynamic of listening to God really causes you to know that you have to surrender to him. That knows that you can't be the same Edgar that you were when you accepted the Lord at 12 when you were in your 20s, when you were 30s, 40s, and soon it'll be, you know, when I was in my 50s. So I, I'm thankful to God that I have the opportunity to learn more now than I was before, because I, I think I was a lot thick-headed, but that was by lack of example, because I didn't understand things until my 40s, and maybe that was God's mercy because a lot of people will say, and I know one person said this to me one time, if I was your age when I accepted the Lord, I would be better off now. And I'm, But I'm going, but you know, that caused it to question God's timing. You know, God brought you to, to a place where you accepted him. And he tries all along, but we hold back. Who's to say, you know, what would have happened earlier? So, you know, this that I came to the Lord too late kind of thing is something that can be a trip up for us. If you're on your deathbed, you came to the Lord. That's what's important. If you're in your 80s, 70s, 60s, we tend to think our life doesn't have value when we, we make a decision. Even if we've been in church decades, oh, now in my 40s I get this. Boy, I've wasted so much of my life. Well, the thing is, you know, what does that mean in the Lord's eyes? We know that the Lord can take and redeem time. We know that the Lord can take a mustard seed and make it grow into a large tree. So we know that God can do a lot with small things because he gets the credit, not us. And so without knowing it, we can lay ourselves a trap. Um, and the trap would be that, well, I haven't done anything. So 
what's the use? The Bible talks about, you know, if a man falls seven times, let him get up seven times. This is what the Lord loves. So people who keep trying, who keep going forward, there's a special favor, for lack of a better word, that God has for them. Don't give up. Don't say it's too late for me. And don't say things like, what can God do with me? We know he can do a lot. I don't know. Like, I, I guess I guess what I'm getting at is the fact that where's the line between too much discourse? Where's the line when there's too when there's too much disagreement? You know, I, I when we did when we did the episode on on divorce, it opened up my eyes. When I did the research, the number of misconceptions that are drawn from bad translations and bad traditional thinking that is just institutionalized, that just gets that just gets followed blindly. Because that's what the pastor said. Because that's what I was taught growing up in Sunday school. Where's the line where where we we've gone too far off the reservation and how do you even know that you can have confidence in what it is that you've read and what it is that you've heard there are things that you know the holy spirit teaches us and that are unequivocal one that god desires that no one perish no one that means the worst person on the planet and there are some things that are what people will consider secondary issues of faith. The concern is what do you do with the person you have the difference of opinion with? You can agree to disagree, but you should never agree, agree to have a division meaning like I cannot accept you because of your stance. Um, and we live in a time where that's even more called into question than ever. Uh, is it holy to not love people who have been divorced? Is it holy to say to the transgendered person, no, you cannot come into this church until you go back to your original sex. Is it holy to say to someone, um, and this used to be big in the, in, the, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, because you're an unwed mother, you can't come into church and serve. There, these people, all these people, and I know this true for myself, I need Jesus every day. I need to go to a place where not only do they have Jesus, they're giving Jesus away. It is hard for me to say that's a common thread in the American church. I've seen it not be that way in a lot of different places. It's commonplace as far as I am talking. And it's in a healthy system. Um, 
there are people who will perish. Somebody was doing a statistic, and I can't remember what it was, but it's like 54 million people die a year. Just the death rate, the natural death rate. Of, that's a lot of people who go into eternity, and some of which have never had a valid display of Jesus's love. There are some people who outright refuse it, but there are some people who, um, and I, and I believe the Lord takes into account and does give everybody the opportunity. That's what the scripture says. And I'm confident in that scripture, but we're the people he chooses as first for that. We're the people who are to give out love, to display Christ, to serve our fellow human being, to be able to change the world for his kingdom. But we're reticent, we're quiet. But if you rile us up on something, then we become this barking dog that will bite. And a lot of times I feel like I have to apologize for that mindset. Have I had that mindset ever? Probably in my earlier years, not so much now. A lot of times I can see the people who are hurting and get an understanding of that. Um, It takes bravery to follow Christ in those situations and to do it in holiness, with truth, and with an equal amount of love. There are times that, and I, and I think I've talked about this before, when you fail, bring it to the Lord. Let him know you messed up, repent, and ask him to show, to fill you with his love that you can give it away. I think it's more important than holding a lot of these arguments in. And by that, I mean divisiveness. If two people don't agree, that's okay. You know, you're not out to change somebody's opinion to your own. You're out to love them in the name of the Lord. And there's that fine difference between the two. Um, If we hold back the gospel, we're not serving God. We're serving ourselves or we're serving what we created as a God. Um, I have a hard time a lot of times with understanding the complexities of relationship. And I'm, I feel like the Lord is showing me that we don't know the journey that a person has gotten where they've come to this point where you've met them. We don't know what's going on in their lives. We don't know the tragedies. We don't know the triumphs. We don't know the challenges. We don't know the sorrow. That person has a story that is hidden from us. And it's very easy to look at that person with face value and say they're wrong and they should be pushed off to the side. Uh, I won't have anything to do with them. I'm going to give you a little story. It's going to have a little tricky ending, maybe, if I do it right. And it's a story from my life. Not too far ago, in a distant state where I lived. Uh, Where dinosaurs ruled the earth. Yes. Um, I feel like Fred Flintstone now. Um, 
me and Barney, no, actually, I was at a, a at our church's men's group, and somebody asked me how I was doing, and I had a really rough time. This was probably about the time that I was told my job was going to North Carolina, and I would have to apply for it if I wanted. And so it was not the best time in my life because I didn't know where I was, what I was going to do. And um, I told the person that I'm having a really rough day, and it's just a difficult day. That's it, something like that. And the person told me, well. You know that's why I get up in the morning and I pray and I thank God for everything that is going on, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't need this from you, and everything. I don't know if you caught what was going on,、um, and I probably didn't do it right, but I actually judged him as a guy that I did not want anything to do with.、Um, That was very superficial of me because I know the guy and I know his life after that moment and I know his life before that, but I don't take that into account of where he's growing and maturing and how things are going, and none of that was on the radar. I didn't care, and you know, this is a person I would have a lot of disagreements with in the the months afterward. But you know what? What did I do? Did I treat him like he was a child of God, an object of God's love? In my heart, this was a sibling I didn't care for, you know, Baba Black Sheep or whatever you want to say. And I have、um, put a division in my heart. You know, is that still there? You know, I haven't really thought about it since I, I, this popped into my head. So maybe this is a good exercise for me. But this is a, this was a small thing, and that's where we have to be careful—the small things, because they can grow into something really big. You know, not saying with this person, but I could start building up a pattern where if somebody disagrees with me, I write them off. You know, fortunately for 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 me, God has gotten through this thick skull. You know when. In my later years,、um, and seeing that if I hold on to something negative, I'm not holding on to the things of God, and starting to understand how precious those things are. If we want to build division, then we cannot build unity. Okay. If we want to sow hatred, we cannot grow love. So there are things that don't allow for each other. And I'm talking about God's love, God's unity, okay? Because they require a heart turned towards God. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but it does mean you're pure. And how are you pure? You're pure through the Holy Spirit. You're pure through God. You know your repentance of sins. You're, you're saying to the Lord, "I love you, and I want to draw close to you." This picking up of what God has given you, say, "I desire this." The more hungry we are for God, the hungrier we get. That's a true statement. Once we catch hold of what God does for us, it it will not let us. We cannot unmeet Jesus, as Shane Black said. I cannot unmeet him. That's why, and early on, in, and I'll give you a, another story.、Um, when I was in 
they called it junior high. Uh, my brother went to an intermediate school. I don't know the difference between the two, but I think one was more tax dollars. Um, I was in a class and I can't remember I, if it was a science class. I think it was. It could have been an English class that brought this question. So forgive me for that. And no, it's not my, you're losing my memories. I just don't recall it. And the teacher asked, which came first, the chicken or the egg? So I raised my hand, the, probably the first student in that class of, I want to say 15 kids. It was a small class. And I answered, the chicken came first. And she asked why. I said, because God made the chicken. And she smiled like she liked the answer and everybody else laughed at me. It didn't convince me that I was wrong. It convinced me that they didn't know God. They didn't know what was going on. And so I used a science fact that I had learned long time ago because there, one of those comments that the cool kids said um, was that, you know, uh, and I think it's talking about the, you know, the egg, you know, the involvement and they, I don't know if he said that, you know, one animal became another animal kind of thing. I said, you know, science teaches that if you breed a horse with a donkey, you get a mule, but a mule cannot have a offspring. You know, when you graft the, um, the peach and the plum together, you get a nectarine. And so this was in my science book and unless science books have changed um, since my day, and <laughs> they probably have, uh, you know, those facts still hold, you know, you can't take, I, I, I'm sure there's a name for the breed that cannot have, and I don't know, but that was why, and that's when the teacher smiled when I was stating my case and, and I had conviction. People cannot tell me, they, well, actually they can tell me there is no God. They cannot make me believe it. And that comes a lot from also experiencing ever since I was a child, there was some concept of God, not a saving concept. You know, we didn't understand salvation. We were Roman Catholics in name only. We didn't even go to church on Christmas or um, I, w I went for my sister's wedding. Does that count? Um, <laughs> but, you know, we watched Davy and Goliath. Oh, which. I know, Joe, you don't know Davy and Goliath, but it was wonderful. I loved it. It was a claymation kind of thing. And Sally, and I can't, uh, Davy was the boy and Goliath was the dog. And the dog had kind of a goofy voice and everything. And they talked about God and everything. So that I watched, a, can I say religiously? <laughs> so that was a good thing. You don't see that stuff nowadays. You just don't. Um, but my concept of God was very strong that he existed. I didn't know that Jesus wanted to indwell me, you know, pay for my sins until much later when I was 12. So God, I'm going to say, invades if we're looking, you know, because he invades everybody's life. But sometimes there there's there's um there's a saying there's none so blind as those who will not see and so there's a lot of missed opportunities to see god um 
the confidence in knowing that God exists can be a great foundation. And I think every person has to come to that concept, that, that foundation where no matter who comes to them and makes fun of them, they're going to hold to God exists no matter what. My wife went through that. She had someone who challenged her that he should come first before God. And she says, like, no way. Bye. See ya. Um, and then um, I, I know a lot of other Christians have those types of stories. So how do you go from that initial foundation to being convinced that the God of the universe loves you more than you can understand and desires to give you good things and wants union with you? That's a big step. And I think it would be easier for people if they saw it modeled more often. We know that Jesus was able to communicate with the adulterous woman in a way that nobody else was willing to. We know that Jesus went and healed the lepers. He healed the blind people, the beggars. You know, these are people who would get shunned in society. In our society, they would get shunned. You know, people who, who are have shunnable qualities are always around you know we we are not excluded from seeing them what are we going to do with them it'd be amazing if we were able to love them right where they were at well that's the kingdom that's yes that's the goal right like the way i um the way i recently heard it put by a friend of ours that I went out to lunch with um, was that it's the difference between, you know, there are some people, there's three different types of people, right? The people who curse, you, curse out other drivers that cut them off in traffic, the person who won a gold star for thinking about it, but not actually verbalizing it, and the people that don't do it. And the goal is to get to the point where it's not even a thought in your mind to do it. It's not that you had to stop yourself because there's still an internal thing to all of that, it seems like. Yeah. Because you don't have to vocalize it to still be, um, you know, not be standing against that other person. And that's why yeah. battle lines and dogma, they literally don't make sense to me. You know, I, I myself have been guilty of being very, very arrogant in my approach no. towards <laughs> in my approach towards how even even post becoming a Christian, thinking that I've got it all figured out and all. The, and there are some things that I stand pretty resolute on because I look to the Bible, I look to what is, and and it just kind of that's in my mind makes sense. But what scares me is people will look at the exact same thing and come to an entirely different conclusion. Mm -hmm. You know what yes, I mean? Two, two people can look at the same thing and have vastly different uh, recounts. Yes. <laughs> um, let's go back to that driving thing you had talked about. This is something the Lord shared with me. I know it's going to be difficult when I state this for people, but it's okay. I've been chided before. Um, there... 
I'm, I'm going to say this, believe it or not, there are bad drivers out there. Um, I know it's unheard of, but I've met practically all of them. <laughs> but no, uh, you know, and, and the thought came to me as, you know, I drive, I, I talk with the Lord and, and, you know, this happened, you know, I have a guy who cuts me off to get to uh, the exit that he wants or something silly like that. And I tend to drive the speed limit because it saves gas. I put myself on cruise control and I'm a happy camper. And I stay in the right lane. Um, which doesn't mean that sometimes I don't speed. Unfortunately, that's true. I confess now I repent. <laughs> but um, so there, there is a tendency for Christians and, and, and I'll say good hearted people to say, Oh, well, he's probably going to an emergency or there's a reason for why he's driving like that. And God said, don't do that. Don't rationalize bad behavior. And this is why. And I'm going to put it in a vulgar way, but I'm going to put it in a vulgar way. If he's a jerk, he's a jerk. God wants me to own that. Not, not, and this is the important part, not recreate him so that I can accept him. God doesn't do that with us. God doesn't say, I'm going to recreate you before I accept you. He takes us with all our garbage and all our messiness, and he wipes it clean, saves us through the salvation work of the cross that Christ did. All the blood cleanses all our jerkness away. Um, and I felt like sort of a freedom with that. You know, the guy was misbehaving and I could pray for him in a way that wasn't judgmental, you know, for safety for him and the people around him. And if he's going to an emergency, Lord, help him with that emergency. I wasn't going through this brain power bandwidth draining thing of saying, oh, these are the circumstances, you know, why he's doing this. You know, rationalizing it. And the Bible tells us not to rely on our rational thinking. That doesn't mean that we can be irrational, but it doesn't mean that we don't we we don't make it our idol or our God or the place that we um, define somebody from. So if God can love me in all my jerkness and I can love somebody else in all their jerkness, because that's the way God does it. You know, we tend to think, and I know that this is maybe uncomfortable for a lot of people the way I'm talking, but there's a freedom to that that allows us to be fragile and frail and human and say, God, I need you because I'm a mess and I don't really know what to do with myself. And I'm not really too fond of myself, but I haven't figured out how to leave me yet. Um, there's a conviction to that too. The conviction is that God can do all things. He can do the impossible. And if he leaves and lives in me, then I can do all things through Christ. So that would mean that I could get along with myself. Hey, you know what? If I can get along with myself, can I get along with other people? Oh God, you snuck that in. How'd you do that? So there's many things that God can do if we just open ourselves up to it.
it's very easy to pray against people. It's way harder to pray for people. Yes. You know, God can do all things. He must be a miracle worker, including the miracle of making that guy actually know how to drive. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like that, that kind of thing. Right. Um, where, where it's, the words are still venomous. It's just, you know, venom with the taste of God. You know what I mean? So, and it's a really eye-opening thing for, for me coming from the point of view of a younger Christian coming from the point of view of understanding how easy it is to play the character coming from the point of view of understanding how easy it is to be wrapped up in the rules and the regulations and things like that. It's very easy to, um, allow all of those things to discredit the possibilities and to discredit what, what, everything actually is what how all of this stuff makes sense and like i said the only thing that seems to never make sense is this whole kingdom thing this whole idea of just being able to be so unabashedly imperfect and being having that be the comfortable spot between you and god I'm not saying you don't change anything, but it would seem like that if as Christians, we are working past that surface layer, then that's exactly what the Bible has been calling us to do. It's been calling us to kingdom since the Old Testament for a long time. This is not just a thing that came about once Jesus set the scene. God has always desired to dwell with people from the beginning when Adam and Eve walked the earth with the Israelites when he indwelt the tabernacle, the tent. He uh, was in the tent of meeting with Moses. There is something truly unique about the presence of God in a person's life. It does bring change. We know that Moses was, I'm going to say, physically changed, that his face glowed, and the people were afraid of that. Are there glowing Christians today? I would like to think so, but I've, I don't know of anyone who really glows, and I'm talking about glow-in-the-dark kind of, really shine they're they're wonderful people who beam with the presence of the lord but i believe god desires something deeper with us that does transform us and in a way makes us the person without all the junk that he indwells it's it's, it's even more than a polished up version it is something that happens innately you don't force it you don't pretend, you don't do it just to do it, but you're actually transformed where the heart of God beats in your heart. Your heart beats along with God, might be a better way to say it. And you hold the things dear that he holds dear. And when he cries, you cry. When you feel prompted, you pray 
or situation. I desire that kind of thing with God. And I know that it requires me to die to self a lot more than I am now. That's the challenge for me. How can I live in a way where my heart beats exactly like his? And I know if I were to share this with other people, people who I know very well, they would misread it and think I need a fix up or I need instruction. That's not what I'm doing. I am reflecting on my own need for God, which is if you understand human frailty in the midst of the God of the universe. It's a very sacred place to be in. It's when Moses has to remove his sandals because he is standing on holy ground. It doesn't matter how well they're made. It doesn't matter that they're the best material. They are man-made. They have no belonging on holy ground. This is that kind of thing. So as Christians, then how do we deal with this? How do we deal with these questions? That's an interesting question. And I'm trying to, I'm, I, I have a thought and I'm trying to think of the verse that comes with it. People who are not Christians, who see us, there's a verse and I'm trying to think of it, that they're offended by us because not because we said something offensive to them but because we have a conviction that we won't move from uh, of the Lord of what he says and I had this thought when you were you, you were starting off but when we hold on to something why do we hold on to it what is what's the purpose of us holding to a position might be a, a way to put that phrase um, do we understand what it means to the heart of God? Do we understand why? You know, there, there are things, and I've had discussions with people on very difficult topics, and maybe it's better because it can be a rabbit trail for me um, to save the actual specifics for another time. But there's a lot of things in our current culture that goes against what? the heart of God is. And the heart of God is not to neglect one person over another person. And to save both equally. And God provides that. So minimizing people is not a way of proving rightness. Um, it's not right when the world does it and it's not right when the church does it. Every person is an image bearer of God. If we hold on to something that gives us a confident stance against somebody, and I'm talking about somebody, the person, not the position or not the statement, but if we get that position, it's sort of like a Pharisee kind of thing. And we can say this person is a blasphemer. This person is wicked. This person is a sinner. Um, I, at one point in my life, in a church that I was at, I was made to feel so small 
that I felt I couldn't even stand in the back row of the back of the church and be there, that I wasn't allowed to partake in anything. Mind you, a lot of listeners who have been for a while know that I come from a dysfunctional family and it does a lot of stuff to you. So that's just about the gist of the background I'm going to give that. But I remember, and this is the difference between the church and God. I so badly wanted a seat at the dinner table where God was. And I felt like I didn't deserve it and I couldn't be there. And God said to me, why stop at the table? I will never forget that. That church never said that to me. It always said to me, I would never measure up. To the point when I left New York, I felt like I was fleeing that church to go find God. Um, and I'm not saying that to discredit them, but I just could not find him there. I just couldn't. Uh, what they offered was not was not something. Well, I can't phrase it better than I just could not find him there. There was a bumper sticker. And it said, Dear Lord, save me from your followers. <laughs> I, I just want people to realize that life can be messy. But there's a truth in questions. And there's a truth in seeking out God. The Bible tells us that God hides mysteries. But it's, the glory, it's to the glory of the king to seek them out. Um, and so questions are good. Don't be ashamed of them. Uh, be careful who you ask. Um, the Holy Spirit can show you answers to many of the difficult questions, and but sometimes they require you to be in a different place than you currently are. So you may have to wait because the answer may be heavy or you may be unwilling to really see it. So don't give up on questions. They're wonderful. So in wrapping up, to step out from the conversation for a moment to, to talk to you guys. Like we said, um, questions are good. Deconstruction is good within the right context, with the right people, in the right setting. If you're around somebody that you can trust, somebody that you can ask these questions with, um, these questions are good. Um, and generally speaking, um, if somebody tells you that that they're not, that's usually a sign of somebody who hasn't gone through it themselves, um, that hasn't been willing to unpack that themselves. Um, so, so if there's anything that I want you guys to take away from this is. We've seen that God does not disown people for having doubt. Um, that that doubt and questions and all of those things are are healthy. Ask the questions because when we don't ask the questions, that's when they become stumbling blocks. That's when they just sit and fester. So, um, like I said at the top, if you guys 
have these questions, these comments, these real life things, um, you can reach us at the website. You can reach us on Facebook. Do not hesitate to reach out um, because we're looking to discuss these different um, these different things, these different topics. They need to be talked about because this is real life. These are the kinds of things that just they pop up as a result of living out this life. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence, Father. You're such a loving God, Father, and I, I feel humbled that you consider us. You, you look out for us, and even when we can't see what's going on, and sometimes we outright refuse to be cared for. Father, I thank you that your love is so great. Your faithfulness to us is so great. Father, that you teach us what love is, and there really is no other place to find it other than in you, Father. And we know that you put that same love in us to give to other people so they can find their way to you, not to us, but to you, so they can develop their relationship with you. Father, I pray right now that you would be with each hurting heart and that you would be able to bless them with your presence, that they would hear you say, I am with you. I love you. I thank you for all the listeners. Great and merciful God, you are wondrous. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in to Buddy Walk with Jesus. For more information, check us out at buddywalkwithjesus.com. Look for us on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. You can also find us on Discord at the Buddy Walk community for prayer and fellowship, and lastly, if you check out the episode description, we have a listener support link and we would love your support for this ministry. As always, know that you are prayed for and know that you are loved.